Hello, welcome to our World Cancer Day special podcast. My name's Joe McNamara and I'm joined by my fellow host, Naaman Jolka Anderson. Hi everyone. So today we wanted to answer the question that we get asked a lot. So what is radiotherapy? We often podcast about the impact of cancer treatments, go into detail about what the cancer treatments are and maybe long-term side effects that people are experiencing. However, what we have found is that we haven't maybe addressed what radiotherapy actually is. So we thought this podcast would be really helpful to inform patients and also healthcare professionals that maybe work within oncology but have no um, maybe formal training of what radiotherapy is. So 50% of cancer patients will actually have radiotherapy at some point in their cancer pathway and we know that because of the side effects of radiotherapy it isn't always visible uh, as maybe surgery or chemotherapy. So I know for a patient who's maybe on one of the um, the chemotherapy drugs that allows people to lose their hair we do find that because that's visual people will go oh that person's not having chemotherapy treatment that's type of cancer treatment and maybe initiates more discussion around it whereas some of the actual visual impacts of radiotherapy aren't always as noticeable or they are undercover so people aren't having to expose maybe the area that they're having treated So people maybe don't know about radiotherapy as much from that perspective. So talking to um, healthcare professionals, we know that sometimes they talk about chemotherapy, surgery and radiotherapy all together. And radiotherapy is sometimes played down as, you know, the end pathway um, of treatment. And so in that respect as well, sometimes the true impact and nature of radiotherapy and Maybe the impact it's going to have on the patients, but also friends and family and carers of that patient as well, aren't always necessarily discussed or or are played down to some extent. So um, we've got a few things that patients, friends and family and people on social media have asked. So we're going to go with the podcast going through each of those. So Naaman may ask me a question that you think, as a therapeutic radiographer, I'd like to think that he knows that, but I promise these are proposed from patients. Thanks for backing me up. I promise I know everything we're about to talk about. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so Joe, um, without totally switching off everyone listening from whatever background they are, can you explain what is radiotherapy and how does it work and try if you can and not go too over the top with the physics? Yeah, I promise I'll try. Although full disclaimer, I wrote some notes to myself about what I would like to cover and and kind of how I would explain it um, to patients. And I read it read it to my husband and my son, and they just went, uh, "I don't understand what you're talking about." <laughs> so this is probably my third kind of draft of thinking about how I'm going to explain what radiotherapy is. So bear with me, but I promise it's not too physics heavy. So firstly, it's really important to recognise that there are different types of radiation treatments. So in today's podcast, we're just going to cover external beam radiotherapy. So some patients may Google external beam radiotherapy or radiation therapy. And when you Google things like that, lots of different types of treatments can come up. So it's just important to use the right terminology when you're talking about um, radiotherapy, exactly as you would do with chemotherapy. So, you know, rather than just googling what is chemotherapy when you're going through a cancer treatment you might want to google the specific drugs that you're having so within the um 
podcast series, we're hoping that eventually we'll cover internal radiotherapy, stereotactic, proton therapy, etc. But this one is specifically for external beam. So what is external beam radiotherapy? Well, it's the use of high ionizing radiation, um, sometimes referred to as photons. Um, patients typically will learn about radiotherapy being the use of x-rays. So the x-rays that we use for radiotherapy are a lot more powerful than those used by a diagnostic radiographer. Um, where they are maybe taking um, x-ray pictures of patients who come in for um, a broken bone in, say, A&E, or also those x-rays that are used for a CT scan. So, Joe, something patients always ask me, and I think a few patients have messaged in, so is the radiation we use a live source of radiation? No, there are types of radiation treatments that use a live source, but for external beam radiotherapy it is the x-rays that are produced by the linear accelerator. So the linear accelerator are, are large pieces of kit, amazing pieces of kit. They're about £2.2 million to be um, installed. So that's why radiotherapy um, in terms of kind of replacing equipment and software and training is quite expensive, but compared to maybe some of the other cancer treatments, it's actually a really cost-effective um, treatment for cancer. Um, and so the x-rays are actually manipulated in the head of the machine to make them personalised to every single patient. So tumours, unfortunately, aren't square, they're not a circle, they're not in a nice ver spherical shape. So we do have to shield and protect as much normal, healthy tissue as we can do. So the x-rays can damage the cancer cells or specifically target the cancer DNA. And these cells will then shrink or die. And unlike our normal healthy cells, they can't repair themselves. Um, whereas obviously our normal healthy cells do start to repair themselves. Um, cancer cells do, however, repopulate. So if we were to maybe give someone a dose of radiotherapy and then not follow it up with any further treatment, you may find that actually that cancer will start to repopulate itself. So those cells will continue to divide. Um, and what we don't want to happen is exactly that. So we give a little dose of radiotherapy every single day. Um, it's also worth noting as well that the side effects that we cause from radiotherapy are typically as a result of the damage that we do to healthy normal cells. So as you can imagine, all of the cells in our body have very specific functions. And so that's why the side effects vary so much patient to patient, because it totally depends on what healthy cells were actually damaging um, as, a, you know, as to then inform the patients of what side effects they're going to get. So as an example, if you were to treat part of the bowel, that might create diarrhea. If you were to treat the um, the mouth, you might get mu mucosal changes within the mouth. And, you know, if you were to treat a salivary gland, you might get reduced saliva production. So everything that we do in radiotherapy and the advice that we give patients is usually as a consequence. So how do you, how do we protect those healthy cells and tissue? So I mentioned about kind of shielding the healthy tissue as much as possible. And this is where I can explain a little bit about what we in the profession call the pre-treatment process. So when a patient is referred to radiotherapy, we often know where the cancer is or where it was if they've had previous treatments, such as, say, surgery. And this is typically as a result of the diagnostic scans and tests that patients have had in the past. So if you think about a patient with, say, breast cancer, they would probably have already had a mammogram, a biopsy, a CT or MRI. 
maybe surgical intervention, potentially chemotherapy and hormone therapy. Again, every patient is different and has an, their own personalized treatment pathway. Um, so using all the information we have, we'll then do a CT scan. So the t CT scan that we do within the radiotherapy department is not the same as a diagnostic scan. So as we use this scan purely to plan the radiotherapy treatment on, so it's essentially like using all the pixels on the scan to determine the dose, position and shielding needed. So for some patients with complex anatomy nearby where we're treating we might also overlay some other diagnostic scans so um, maybe MRI or a PET scan and you know looking into the future I think we will definitely use MRI more within pre-treatment and radiotherapy itself but currently MRI scanners are really expensive and so it's something that we don't have access to but things might change in the future. Yeah lots of research and funding going into that um, I suppose we've talked about the pre-treatment uh, pathway, as you said, Joe. How many people are involved with a patient's treatment plan? Wouldn't actually do radiotherapy any justice if we just talked about um, therapeutic radiographers. Actually, there's a huge team that contribute to the um, radiotherapy treatment. So we have um, the technicians who help support all of the equipment. You know, they implement all of the equipment uh watching a, a linear accelerator service is amazing so for any students listening definitely make sure you have that opportunity um and also in terms of the actual radiotherapy plan so you have physicists dosimetrists planning therapeutic radiographers and obviously the oncologist all working together to produce a high quality radiotherapy treatment plan and because we have used the ct scan to plan the radiotherapy on we do need to ensure that the patient is in exactly the same position as they were for their CT scan. So this is why we might use lots of different pieces of equipment to immobilise patients or use special techniques to try and stop internal organ motion. So think about where um, maybe the male prostate sits between the rectum and the bladder. So essentially every time the rectum or the bladder fills up it can potentially move the prostate so filling or emptying the rectum and the bladder may move the prostate quite significantly so we need to try and replicate those positions every single day for treatment because we do operate within millimeters of accuracy so that's sometimes why patients will have a specific protocol that they have to follow. And by that, what I mean is you may have a regime where you have to drink a certain amount or um, you might have some bowel prep to do ahead of each day's radiotherapy. So we try and deliver um, a technique maybe for breast or chest wall patients called deep inspiration breath hold. And that's essentially trying to minimise the dose to the heart and lungs. So we try and deliver our x-rays to within millimetres of accuracy every single day. And so that's sometimes why as therapeutic radiographers, we're quite picky and take images constantly throughout your treatment. Um, and might also get you to be in weird and precarious situations where you maybe have your arms up every single day. We promise it's just purely to ensure that we're trying to treat the area that we want to treat with without damaging any normal healthy cells. Um, so Joe, what... What's next for radiotherapy? 
So advances in radiotherapy mean that the technique of radiotherapy delivery is constantly changing and adapting and it's personalised for every treatment. So it can be difficult when patients are trying to seek information about what their treatment's going to be like, how to prepare for it. Um, so for example, some patients in radiotherapy departments will get tattoos to ensure they're in the same position every day, whereas some departments don't utilise tattoos and they use surface guided imagery, um, which is essentially like a 3D camera to position patients on a daily basis. So the best place to find information is from your specific radiotherapy department. So quite a few of the departments now have extensive information on the websites. And you can, of course, speak to your radiotherapy team or your therapeutic radiographers. That was brilliant. So not too much physics then. Yeah, (laughs) not too much physics, hopefully. I hope people aren't falling asleep listening to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, I suppose another question that's asked quite a lot from patients when they're travelling in or you know, they don't just want to get it quickly out of the way, is um, why do we not just give the patient one big dose of radiotherapy? Why do we spread it out? Yeah, so the dose is split into what we call fractions. So if you see this written down, it looks a little bit like a hashtag. Maybe that's why therapeutic radiographers are all over Twitter Um, sharing the love for hashtags anyway the fractions um, are so that the normal healthy tissues have time to repair themselves which typically takes about six hours over irradiating healthy cells could potentially damage them irreversibly which obviously is something that we don't want to do we can also give more than um, a single fraction on a day for some patients just ensuring that they do have that therapeutic gap so that six hour gap in between Um, and we can use radiotherapy on any part of the body but there are are some structures that are actually more sensitive to the radiation um, and so that could be a limiting factor on maybe um, for some patients where we wouldn't advise radiotherapy and they might have chemotherapy or immunotherapy or other types of treatment because radiotherapy is limited um, just because of those what we call organs at risk that are close to the tumor or where the tumor was um, if they've had previous surgery so also with them um, some tumours, they're actually not radiosensitive. So again, radiotherapy wouldn't be the primary choice of treatment for those patients. I suppose there's something to be said just to kind of add on to that is, can we treat the same area twice? Um, and yes, we can, but it's a similar to the way I explain it. It's sort of antibiotic resistance, where if a cell is resistant um to an antibiotic is going to have less effect every time you keep taking the same antibiotic same with radiotherapy that yes you can treat the same area but it's always going to be more susceptible to damage because it's already had a bit of treatment there and the cells have adapted in that way Um, is that something how you kind of explain it to your students as well yeah that sounds absolutely like a, a prime way to be able to describe that that reaction um and Obviously, as well, it's sometimes you'll have areas of treatment um, that are close together. And that's something that we have to look very carefully at to look at where maybe there's overdose in the gaps where you might be overlapping. Um, You know, for some of the cells, it's not necessarily an issue, but for others, they are much more sensitive and we have to be careful of that. And so I always think about, say, the spinal cord that has um, It's not really radiosensitive, but you definitely have to be careful of the kind of doses that it gets. So that's part of the kind of dosimetry and the planning aspect of the radiotherapy. Um, So Naaman, thinking about maybe what I've discussed and thinking about it from a clinical perspective, you know, it's all right knowing about maybe some of the radiobiology behind radiotherapy, but what 
some someone who's maybe listening who's about to start radiotherapy what's it going to be like for them so i suppose radiotherapy as we know is a treatment for cancer um it can be in many different forms so it could be trying to be curative um so a radical treatment is also sometimes what it's called it could be to reduce the chance of it coming back so almost prophylactic in a way um, it can also be used to help local control or to help relieve symptoms so i think a good example of um, limiting symptoms is like pain so let's say a patient has bone metastases so where the cancer is spread from somewhere else to their bone and they're having sort of pain due to the breakdown of their bone cells i'm trying to say without being too biological um that's yeah that's one of the things that can happen so you know radical palliative is a term that's used quite a lot i think a lot of us are now trying to use the word or the term treatable but not curable um because patients are be able to be treated for multiple metastases and they are living a lot longer so i suppose if you're starting radiotherapy the main thing is we've described the pre-treatment team they're one of the probably the first teams you would meet in a radiotherapy department after you've been consented for radiotherapy let's say either by your surgeon or by your clinical or medical oncologist normally a clinical oncologist um, or a consultant radiographer in some places across the country Um, once that's happened you'd arrive in pre-treatment so where you'd be having a ct scan but we always go through everything so the therapeutic radiographer um, or assistant practitioner who's working in the pre-treatment team would go through you know this is what to expect today you'll be having let's say for example if I was having my head and neck area um, planned we have to have you know I'd have to be in the exact same position for the CT scan that I would be for the treatment so that allows us to make sure that the treatment site and everything that we do so that the, the way we have patients position on the bed is reproducible um, so that we're always accurate and if anyone knows radiotherapy we work to millimeter accuracy we're very fussy um if something isn't right we won't you know i think i always say that i wouldn't feel comfortable delivering radiation accurately so we'd get the patient off the bed and start again but this is where the pre-treatment process is so important that using tattoos or as you said surface guided um, equipment getting the patient in the right position at the start and a comfortable position as well so it's not just get them on the bed and then it's done it's getting them in the right position so that when they have their radiotherapy treatment a few weeks later they're always going to feel comfortable as possible they are quite hard beds aren't they joe um carbon fiber they they are they're really hard beds it's essentially like if you go up to your dining table and you knock on it that's how hard our radiotherapy treatment couches are going to be and obviously from that perspective you don't want patients sinking into a bed do you because that wouldn't be reproducible hence why it needs to be so firm can i ask Naaman, um what is it that um we have to think about in terms of maybe immobilization so it's often what we refer to as therapeutic radiographers immobilizing a patient but what does that mean for an actual patient coming in that pre-treatment setting so it's about the position isn't it so we want to mobilize a patient in the same way every time so comfortable as possible so let's say for example a head and neck patient that i said you might have to have a thermoplastic mask made which is a mold of your face and sometimes onto your shoulders as well that will basically keep you as still as possible but although it's quite tight as comfortable as possible so that you can breathe and you can look around if needed um so that we reduce any kind of movement um to stop you basically when you have your radiotherapy that we're not kind of missing any of the the target area that we want to treat and also we're not treating any areas that aren't supposed to be in the treatment field um but you know things can change sometimes um you can get swelling or you know problems and 
things like that but the, the pre-treatment team and the, the physicists the dosimetrists they work so hard that if that happens during a radiotherapy that's completely fine it's not your fault you know it's something that's happening either because of the treatment or because of the cancer diagnosis so there's lots of things we can do can't we joe and um, lots of very physicsy things um, that we can do to make sure that you know the patients are always receiving safe and accurate treatment throughout their radiotherapy and obviously once a pre-treatment scan is finished that wait um it's not because you know there's backlog or anything that there aren't people around to do it it's that safe and accurate representation and trying to figure out what's the best um way to deliver a dose to an area while avoiding all the sensitive structures as you said um so that's what the time is all the safety checks and procedures that need to be done and then day one when patients arrive same again we would never go straight into the treatment it's always you'd get a process with a therapeutic radiographer or an assistant practitioner um, about or even a student might be able to lead that conversation with you around what's going to happen today so you've come to radiotherapy it'll be the same position it was for the ct scan has anything changed kind of giving patients that space to talk about anything that you know might be different for them or there's something they're worried about if there is or if they're suddenly in pain or if there's something else that we need to address um, i always find that first day chat is very important because it sometimes might be the first time they've been able to speak to somebody else since um, being at home after their CT scan. I don't know if that's something you've heard from your students, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's a really important conversation for therapeutic radiographers to have that opportunity to really try and prepare patients as much as possible for what is about to happen to them. Um, so please do think about maybe questions you have, write them down because I speak for being a patient. I'm an awful patient. I'll go into a room and I'll just go, yeah, 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 that's absolutely fine. And then I'm freaking out at home going, I didn't even listen properly to what they were saying and I'm not sure I took it all in. So write all the questions down that you have um, and then hopefully that appointment will allow you to ask anything you have and be referred if you need to be or at least services or anything that you potentially need at that stage to be um, to be organised for you. Exactly and after that once you're in the treatment room usually depending on the department setup you might have to change into a gown and then uh, you know move out of a cubicle into the treatment room everything will be nicely explained we always work in the dark um just for anyone who doesn't know about radiotherapy <laughs> they will not understand why you say why do you work in the dark we we love a nightclub don't we <laughs> yeah well we've got the laser lights in the room haven't we as well for a nightclub so uh these laser lights um it's just a projection on your skin i've, I've had lots of patients worried that it's going to cut their skin or burn their skin it's not it's just a light put them on in the room they're calibrated to the machine by our lovely engineers and physics team um, and all we basically do with those lights in the dark is whether it's your tattoo or with using surface guided equipment if it's a tattoo i would say we basically just go x marks a spot with the lasers so we would move you and the bed into position so this might mean that as we work in pairs so mike so, so joe you and i are setting up a patient we'd be working together you know we're letting the patient know what's going on and we might have to move you and when I say move you on the bed, it's probably about a millimetre. And if I ask you to move a millimetre up or down, you will look at me and think, what are you talking about? But for us, that millimetre where we're moving or manipulating, let's say, your skin to get the tattoo in the right place so it is X marks a spot, we know that from our calculations and our measurements, that is the perfect place we want you to be. And then we can do some fancy calculations either in our head or if you're very lucky in some departments some of the machines do the calculations for you which i love <laughs> trying to do mental arithmetic <laughs> <laughs> 
I was going to say, we teach all our students mental arithmetic for them to do all of the... Oh, I was taught how to do it. I was just very fortunate to go to a department that did it for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> And Naaman, um, it is worth noting that obviously from a patient's perspective, it can be quite daunting because they will literally be underneath the radiotherapy treatment machine called a linear accelerator, won't they? And when they're staring up at that, it can feel like it's really close. So it's not going to touch you, is it? And essentially, when we are moving our patients, it is millimeters. So I often have patients who will be like, don't worry, I'll help you. And I'm like, no, you don't need to help me at all. And it can feel really weird, actually, having people move and manipulate you. And all you have to do is lie like a dead weight um, and allow people to manipulate you um, that that sometimes is a little bit strange and my hands are always freezing so every time I touch patients they're like oh my gosh <laughs> your hands are freezing um, and even now when I'm doing simulation with students bless them they're like Joe your hands are freezing it's always the case but um, yeah really important isn't it to just make sure that patients don't move and lie as still as they possibly can do yeah whatever treatment you're having um, if you do need to lie still as possible and as undignified as it is if you have to cough or sneeze just try and do it in the air it's only you know if you're the patient you're only with us as the staff it's something that we're used to but actually just that tiny movement especially if we've set you up we are very fussy so even if you move by a millimeter after we've done some of our calculations um we will go back and start again but that's again it's a safety process it's not just because we're annoyed that you've moved at all it's because we are very fussy we have to be accurate and actually some if some of our numbers are out of tolerance the machine won't switch on so even the machine has its own safety features that won't allow us to do anything um that's going to affect kind of how we treat you um i was going to ask Naaman at that point where you're maybe aligning a patient and this is definitely something that i know patients might want to know about do patients have to be exposed you know what can they expect expect from kind of a dignity and, and respect perspective in the room I think with sensitive areas of the body, we always do our absolute best to, you know, keep them covered up. Um, I've, I'm a male radiographer. Um, if patients feel uncomfortable having a male radiographer in the room, same as if we're treating areas where they might feel uncomfortable having a female radiographer in the room, um, that's completely fine. We, we try and cater for what we can. Sometimes it is unavoidable, but we will do everything we can to maintain patients' dignity. And I think even with you doing a simulation, Joe, I've seen, you know, that that is something that's honed in with anyone who starts to prof- coming into the profession. So there are dignity gowns um, in different trusts, just normal patient gowns as well. I think for some treatments, let's say, for example, like a breast treatment, if you have a, a sleeveless top, some patients will just roll that down um, and then they can obviously um, make sure that the area that we need to look at, that's the only thing that's exposed. Um, but also we sometimes use... Uh, kind of paper or blue towel white towel whatever it is just to cover up anything that we don't need to before we leave the room sometimes it's unavoidable because we need to get to those tattoos or if it's surface guided we don't want different bits of clothing that's there in the way so if you've had a ct scan again like i said before that it has, it has, we have to get you in the same position so if you're wearing a different top for example that might alter our positioning of you so although it's unavoidable we would do everything we can to maintain dignity i would think and that is honed in right from when you first join uh, the profession 
I think as well, sometimes I know patients are a bit like, oh, my tattoos are up here. Why are you necessarily having to roll things down? But obviously we don't want any skin to be disrupted by tight clothing or anything like that. So quite often we will remove clothes um, just so that it's not affecting the skin position. Um, so I think as well, if people are thinking, why, why are you undressing me? I promise I'm not wanting to expose anything. It's just to get, again, it's all about that accuracy and reproducibility, isn't it? Yeah, and sometimes if we're treating areas where if we're going to give you a scan, so some, most of the machines have a portable scanner, and this is, again, it's not a diagnostic level scan, but it's to make sure you're in the right position or your internal anatomy, which you may not have any control over, is in the right position as well. We don't, um, I suppose one myth that happens is, can you wear metal? You can, you can leave your watch on. If you've got glasses, you can leave it on. Unless we're obviously doing your head and neck area, then we would have to remove your glasses um, or a necklace for example so it's more that if it's within the field we try and remove jewelry metal let's say a belt um so a metal belt will cause a bit of artifact um on our scans that we see so we try and get rid of those um but sometimes things are unavoidable so that, that's also just something to look out for but just double check with the treatment radiographers who are with you um what you can and can't wear i suppose i was going to ask um, what can the patient actually expect? So, you know, from them having been set up and positioned, what's the next stage in the process that they can expect? Do you get to stay in the room? Um, you know, maybe do you want to explain a little bit about kind of that process that happens? Yeah, I suppose it's quite strange. Um, we will endeavour to obviously talk to, the, I always like to talk through to the patient and let them know what we're doing. Once we've got you in position, we want to stay as still as possible. Just breathe away normally. Try not to look around, even if you're interested in the machine or the laser lights and stuff. Just try and keep nice and still. Um, we will call out lots of gibberish is probably the best way to describe it to each other. But we know what we're talking about. Lots of different things we need to double check. And then once we're happy, we may move the machine around you. So a linear accelerator isn't like a CT scanner or an MRI scanner. Um where you kind of go in and out of a donut, the machine moves around you. So as Joe said, it will never touch you. Um, and actually lots of the machines have almost a safety bar uh, on the end that that will hit you first. And if it does, it would stop the machine moving straight away as a safety feature. Um, but that rarely ever happens, uh, to be honest, as we work in pairs. So once the machines move around you, we've got the bed in position, you're in position, we're happy with all of our checks and numbers, we will leave the room. So if anyone's ever had or broken, I don't know, let's say you've broken a finger and you've had an x-ray from a diagnostic radiographer, they can be in the room because the energy level is a lot lower or a lot weaker, if you want, compared to where we're treating deeper in the body um, using radiotherapy, which is a lot higher energy uh, radiation. So if you see, you know, walk into the radiotherapy room itself in the bunker, there's a maze and that's to stop any radiation scattering around and coming out of the room. So that's why we need to leave the room. So it's not that we don't want to be there with you for the whole thing. We are there, but we're watching you on our very, very high and powerful CCTV cameras. There's a two-way intercom where we can talk to each other. Or sometimes I've, I've worked with a wonderful colleague before who sang down the mic to a patient because it was helping them get through radiotherapy. No one would ever want to have to listen to me. <laughs> in the treatment room singing to them I once did actually get told off for singing whilst I was at work Damon so I know that my voice wouldn't necessarily be the kind of voice that patients would want to hear through the tannoy um, but there are some noises aren't there Damon that patients will hear whilst they're on uh, the radiotherapy treatment couch yeah of course like 
it's a machine as we've said um quite an expensive one but it still makes lots of mechanical sounds even while we're moving it around when patients are on the bed you still hear some clicks and you know when the machine's moving around and that's completely normal doesn't mean anything's wrong with it um the other thing is when we leave the room and we're obviously we're happy you know the patient's been set up correctly they're in the right position the machine we've done all of our checks and safety checks uh we usually press a button which is called the last person out button uh, and it sometimes just sounds a bit like an alarm but it's just to signify to the machine that we've left the room um so it's another safety mechanism if we don't do it we can't do anything with the machine um, and so it has to be done and saying that when we leave uh, the treatment room itself, walk out of the, the maze back towards where we sit outside. There's also a gate, so another safety feature for us. Also stops anyone accidentally going in the room while we're irradiating people. Um, that can be quite loud, that's another noise. Um, and then usually when we're outside the room, I think I've already said, but you know, there's a two-way intercom. We can see the patients all the time. Um, most Linda accelerators now come with very fancy high-tech CCTV um, for example, as you said, for breath hold techniques, so we can see what's going on. Um, but also when we're doing our checks outside, we might need to move the bed just by a few millimetres to improve the accuracy. Um, so that we can do from the outside. But sometimes um, we also have to go back in the room, uh, which is completely normal. So it doesn't mean something's gone wrong. Um, but yeah, sometimes we have to come back in. So don't jump um, if you hear us coming back in and try and stay nice and still. And don't move until we tell you to. Um, especially because you may not notice while you're lying on the bed but the bed does go very high up um, I mean I'm I'm relatively tall but it still is quite a big jump down uh, it's a lot of paperwork for us <laughs> I think that's what we always say <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't want any broken bones do we whilst uh, patients are on treatment <laughs> exactly um, but that's that's kind of it really there's lots of different sounds and once the treatment's over you will help you safely off the bed um, if you have any questions or any concerns obviously We'll have the time to go through them or someone in the support team in the background staff, they can also help as well. So Naaman, one of the questions that I often get asked is why do patients not have radiotherapy on the weekends? I know some patients do, but for a majority, they don't have weekend treatments. Why is that? So normally we do Monday to Friday uh, treatment, so five days a week. Um, and it's all, I know you touched on it, Joe, with the therapeutic window, so post-radiotherapy, making sure that the cells have enough time, so the normal cells have enough time to heal. Um, you know, Ideally, from a radiobiology perspective, it would be better just to do it every day. Um, and there are sort of some treatments where you can have a higher dose to a smaller area and the treatments are done quicker. Um, but ultimately, we need to give the body a break. Um, interestingly, some places uh, across the world, which, Joe, I know you've, you've seen this as well, um, they usually um, have patients stay as an inpatient for the whole duration of their treatment and they will get them down at any time there's a linear accelerator that's ready so it might be three in the morning a patient will be brought down to have radiotherapy treatment that's one way to uh, get down some waiting lists isn't it but yeah I'm not sure how I'd feel at three in the morning I'd be a bit grumpy I think although yeah I wouldn't even be able to have a nap on the radiotherapy couch it's far too hard <laughs> Exactly. And I suppose something else to add is we normally only do one treatment a day. Um, so it'd be five days a week, once a day. And again, it is mainly because of that recovery time, letting the cells heal. Um, and especially the fatigue or the tiredness that can happen from radiotherapy, that accumulation of, let's say, you've had six weeks of radiotherapy towards the end, patients can become quite tired. Um, but also the skin side effects. So radiotherapy goes through the skin. Some areas of the body are more susceptible to skin damage. 
um, and especially if they're getting a lot like a higher dose uh, that's required as the gold standard treatment for that area um, if we delivered too much radiation in the day we could lead to some severe sort of reactions and I know you touched on it earlier Joe for internal organs as well uh, that might be a bit more sensitive to radiotherapy if we're giving too much radiotherapy in the day um, yeah, it can cause quite a lot of damage but sometimes if patients miss a treatment due to being unwell or something like that we can compensate uh, by giving two in a day but it's only for specific treatments that we do this but again thinking of that six hour window you'd have to come in very early in the morning have a six hour at least break and then come back to do your second one but that's not always quite common is it joe no um it's quite specific and it's for patients who obviously from an oncology perspective we want to make sure that we are irradiating the cancer cells before they can then replicate again um so that wouldn't be the case for all cancer patients and i think that's one thing to kind of note is that everyone is so personalized you may be sitting next to another patient who has um, the same type of cancer as you it might even be the same stage but actually the technique and um, the personalization for the radiotherapy might be very different and therefore reactions are different side effects are different um, the position might be slightly different and I think um, you know even listening to patients talking to each other in the waiting room sometimes I you know you kind of do that oh that, that doesn't apply to you. Um, so it is really important to talk to your radiotherapy team about your specific treatment. Um, I know you mentioned, Naaman, about kind of getting tired. It isn't just a bit of tiredness, is it? Some patients really do struggle with fatigue. Um, do you see that quite a lot in your clinics? Yeah, definitely. And I think the thing to mention is that fatigue, it doesn't necessarily mean it will hit you after the first um, session of radiotherapy normally from I think from most people's experiences that it's all more towards the end so it's that cumulative dose um, so way I like to explain it is any cancer cells that are being damaged uh, by radiotherapy when their DNA strands break and they are effectively dead cells uh, removing dead cells is a normal process for the body so every day we'll shed cells within our body or they need to be removed etc that takes a lot of energy so that's one kind of mechanism that starts from the first radiotherapy dose um, and it's normally the six hours or so after radiotherapy so the cancer cells that are killed by the radiotherapy beams or the radiation um, they need to be removed the other side that we discussed is the normal cells that become damaged so they're obviously they're damaged their dna strands can break uh, but they have the ability to regenerate uh, but that also takes a lot of energy so technically speaking they're both sort of normal processes that happen in everyone's body every day but we're amplifying it because we're targeting it just to one area and I think that's where that cumulative dose. So, you know, for example, having over seven weeks of radiotherapy, the tiredness will, you know, it is quite difficult, but it's kind of the, I don't know, maybe it's the boring or the traditional things that, you know, try and get at least up to two litres of water a day if you can, um, you know, eat little and often, even if not, your appetite's a bit low, um, try and do some exercise. So we always say gentle to moderate exercise, uh, at least 30 minutes a day which I know can be difficult, but if you set goals, so, you know, okay, today I'm going to go up and down the stairs once or, you know, hoovering, that counts as exercise. Not that you have to always do all the housework. Yeah. I was going to say some patients worry, don't they? When we say exercise, um, they kind of panic thinking, oh my gosh, are you going to expect me to go running or or anything like that? And it's not, is it? It's very, again, very personalised to each patient. But, you know, if you're used to doing lots of exercise, then, you know, you might be able to do a little bit more than other people. If you're not, 
then actually just doing housework, getting up out of bed, getting a shower, it's whatever it needs specifically for that reason, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, there's also chair-based exercises you can do. So even just like arm, just things to keep you moving. That's what it is, um, to be honest, so yeah. Okay, so is there anything else, Naaman, that you think the audience might need to know about radiotherapy? Anything you think we've missed or not covered? (laughs) I don't think so. I think it's just about, you know, it's a scary experience um, going through any kind of cancer treatment, but as therapeutic radiographers, hopefully we've showcased how many different types there are within your kind of treatment journey. We're always going to be here to support you right through to the end. And even when you finish radiotherapy, we'll still be here if you need it. Um, and I suppose we're kind of the experts experts in it. Um, so yeah, just just ask. There's no silly question. Absolutely. So that's all from myself, Jay McNamara, and my colleague, Naaman Jelka Anderson. We hope um, we've answered all the questions that came in. But by all means, if you do have any questions, need any support, then just contact us via the social media platforms that we're on. So that's all from us. Take care and good night. Thank you.